going to be in Matthew 17 this morning. And the last time we were together, Jesus had taken Peter and, and James and John with him, to, you know, with him to meet Moses and Elijah on Mount Hermon. It's what we call the transfiguration. And it, was in a, it happened in a way the disciples, were, in a sense, were afraid. I mean, here Jesus' clothes are just glowing and, and all this kind of stuff, and they fall face down, on, uh, you know, face down after, after Peter says, uh, um, well, we could build some temples, we could build some, some shrines up here for you. And, and then God interrupts Peter and says, this is my son who, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. You need to listen to him. And we talked, you know, a little bit how I, I even talked to my son, you know, several times and say, listen to me, like a father does to a child. And this is God saying to us as children, listen to my son. Listen to the words he said. Listen to the words that he wrote through the Holy Spirit that, that are here for us. And the disciples, you know, remembered all of this. And, you know, how could you forget uh, you know, I imagine they were dumbfounded and shocked and, you know, fearful, and they, they thought they knew Jesus, but this was a whole new level of Jesus that they'd ever seen. So Jesus even tells them, don't even try to explain uh, this until, until I am dead and resurrected. Uh, here is God in an audible voice confirming Jesus as his son. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like God saying, don't be impressed with Moses and Elijah, that they're back from the dead, that they're talking with Jesus, and, and you're kind of in that interdimension between heaven and, and earth and, and that whole concept. Don't even be impressed by that. Be impressed that you've been walking on this earth with my son. That's what you need to be impressed about. I mean, first century guys, they would have been impressed with Moses and Elijah. They have learned about these men during school, during their teaching, and meeting them. I mean, they would have been absolutely starstruck. In my lifetime, I've had the, uh, the privilege of meeting some amazing people that are, that are uh, uh, you know, famous in, in one sense. Gold medalist track stars, uh, professional football players and baseball players and basketball players famous evangelists and missionaries, and I could list them all out, but I don't care about naming names. It doesn't really matter. But sometimes when you meet somebody that's famous, you're almost in awe of them, right? I mean, you're kind of, you, you kind of stutter in a sense, or you, you don't know quite what to say to them. But here, this is the ultimate. This is unbelievable. You've been walking around with my son. My son, you, you've shared meals with my son. It doesn't matter how great you think Moses is. This is my son. So what is the lesson here for us in, the, in this little tidbit from last week? I would say no matter how great the Christian book is that you might be reading, or the video series that you love and have watched, or the speaker that you've heard, or you know, you know, anything like that, nothing is greater than Jesus Christ, God's son. Nothing is. No teacher, no video series, no, no author that you just love and they have these insights of God that you just like, wow, I can relate to them. Nothing is greater than Jesus Christ and his words in the Bible. God is going, here is my son. Listen to him. Hear him. It's amazing to me that even after all this time, God has to say to them, hey guys, are you listening? 
Are you listening? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Are you listening to, to what my son has to say? Or have you gotten bored with Jesus? I think that's a good question for us. Have we gotten used to the voice of Jesus? Have we gotten used to, to reading the, the Word of God? Yeah, I was talking with uh, somebody last week, and, and we were talking about, uh, you know, reading the Bible over and over, and all these stories get in your head, and it's almost like, yeah, I, I know that, I know that. And then we hit a story, and it's like, wow, I, I forgot that that was even there. It's because we get back into the Word of God. That's what's important. important. The voice of the Father would say, don't ever get bored with Jesus and listen to Him. Years later, Peter, James, and John would write about the, the transfiguration, and John wrote in 1 John 1, 5, he said, This is the message we have heard from him to declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness at all. I could imagine he, when he wrote this, his mind went back to the first time that he saw God is light, which was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Would have been an amazing moment for him. Peter wrote about this in 2 Peter 1.16. He said, We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw it. We were there. Let me tell you about the mountain. I can imagine him telling the story after Jesus resurrected from the dead over and over to the point where people are going, Okay, Peter, we've heard about this one. He goes on and says... But we, we were eyewitnesses to, of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from the God the Father when the voice came to him from the majesty glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. You know, he left out the part where, where God had to tell him, Listen to him. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny there. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So as they came down the mountain, Jesus basically says, Hey guys, don't, don't, don't go out talking about this until I've resurrected. Don't, don't even try to explain it. You're not even going to understand it. However, you know, whatever words Jesus told them, he told them not to talk about it. Mark tells us that they didn't understand what they'd experienced, much less about the resurrection part of it. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes... We shouldn't be talking about the things that we don't understand. We like to be able, we, we love, you know, last week I kind of talked about being the Bible answer man and, and stuff. If you're in any, whatever place of, of, uh, in life you're at, and whatever you're supposed to specialize in, and when people come to you, you're supposed to have all the answers, right? I mean, I can tell you, Mark is a great computer guru, right? And, and I, don't, I don't mean to sound negative whatsoever, but Mark came over, and for some reason, my computer got to a point where it could not be fixed. He tried this, he tried it, way beyond anything I would have tried. I'm like, off, on. Oh, didn't work again. Off, on. Mark goes in all these different systems, and he's trying different things. I'm like going, I, I would have never got there. But still, he wasn't able to fix it for some reason because the computer was so messed up. I don't know why. That just happens. But, we, you know, but, you know, the expectation is, well, he's supposed to have the answer. Where, whatever you are in life, construction person, uh, you work down at the, uh, the factory, wherever you are, you work on cars, you're supposed to have the answers, right? That's how people look at us. Well, we feel like that about God. People look at us and go, well, you're a Christian. You should understand everything. Explain this to me. And it's like, well, you know, I, God has not revealed that part to me yet. I don't understand that about God. I would have done it differently. 
I don't understand everything about the Bible, and I don't expect you to understand everything about the Bible. But our job in this life is to walk a life that's worthy of being called the Son of God or the daughter of God. That is our calling in life. And along the way, we share how Jesus has changed our life. Not every little answer to every little question. It's okay to say, you know, I don't know that answer. Now in Mark 9 and Luke 9, they tell us a story, the story from a different perspective. Mark 9 comes and tells us that, that Jesus came down with the three and the other nine were in a heated discussion with a bunch of the scribes and, and Jesus had, had left with the three and by the time they got back, the others were in this fight with the religious leaders and a crowd was kind of gathering around and, and a man with his son was being ignored. He was kind of in the middle of this huge fight between everybody because everybody's fighting. And Jesus says, what are you fighting about? Matthew tells it like this. He says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. As a parent, I would be extremely worried about that. Took my son to the, to the to water park Saturday. You bet I was watching him. He doesn't know how to swim yet. I was amazed at how many parents weren't watching their children. I'm sitting here going, that child clearly does not know how to swim, and why are they in a foot and a half deep of water? I mean, if another kid pushes them over, you know, are they going to be able to get up? And t- you know, my mind's going all over, you know. I'm like, I don't want to be this helicopter parent that's always overprotective, but at this age, I want to be overprotective. You know what I'm saying? Man, this kid's falling into the water and into the fire. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus replied, O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. You can almost hear the frustration. How long am I going to... Bring the boy. Get get the boy. Get him over. Just bring him over here, please. You know, you can almost see that frustration there. Now, we'll finish the story and we'll see what happens, but we have to stop, stop right here because I had to sit with this story and I realized something. Would this man have have come to Christ or his disciples if he had a choice? He came to the disciples. He showed up at the disciples, but he was expecting Christ to be there, but Christ was gone. Now, would this man even approach either one of these groups if they weren't in a crisis? This man in his life hit a crisis point. For three years, Jesus has been in ministry in this area. This was his main area of ministry. Uh, You know, Galilee is the command center, for lack of a better term, in this huge area for Christ. And this man has not come until now. He shows up with his emergency. And finally he shows up, and some other guy is up there teaching. Jesus is out of town. He's like, dead, burn it. Where did he go? I have this problem. And the other nine are trying to hold down the fort. This crisis has brought this man to Christ. And I've seen this over and over and over. God will use any any means necessary to bring someone to Christ. Have you, you know, maybe that's happened in your life. God just pummels you and pummels you and pummels you. And you finally say, okay, I give in. I'm going to God. 
Sometimes it happens we're, we're little children and we just, you know, we grew up in church and we, we believe from a young age and everything's, you know, hunky-dory in a sense and all of a sudden a crisis hit, then we go running back to God. It's almost like a child crisis hit. Who do you go running to? Mom and dad, right? What age does that ever stop? I don't know. It doesn't. <laughs> I like that. But in crisis times, we go back. You know, sometimes we see people going through tough stuff, and we're just like, Lord, can you just lay off of them? Lord, I, you, you, you need to give them some breathing room. What are you doing, Lord? I don't understand this. They're going to start shaking their fists at you. Come on, Lord, lay off of them. Other times I've looked at, looked at people's lives and said, man, that, that's the devil. The devil is working them over right now because I could not imagine the Lord allowing you know, a family or a person to go through this. And then come to find out later, it's actually the Lord allowing them to go through it. But we like to go Satan. You know, we like to you point out, you know, that, that's got to be, that's got to be, that God cannot allow that. But sometimes God allows that. And we're like, Lord, get the devil off their back. And the Lord replies, Alan, that's not the devil. That's me. Mind your own business. Be quiet. I love them. I tried to steal a small voice with them. I tried having them marry a wife who loves me. I, I've, you know, or having kids who come to know me. Putting them in a situation where, where people have preached uh, and, and taught them. And after all of that, I get excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. So finally, I'm allowing them to go through a tough part of life, hoping that they'll come back to me. This is like the prodigal son. I've given them all the money. I, you know, they've been begging for years, saying, give me my inheritance. And I finally gave it to them and let them go, hoping that they would come back, knowing they would go through that destruction. But me being a good father... I wait and I pray for them. And when the child shows up, what do you do? I finally, you're back. I can't believe you come back to me. Okay, what did you do wrong? No, he went out there running. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's, let's throw a big party. So sometimes the Lord allows crisis in our life. Lord, I'm, I'm uh, you know, why are you allowing this? And the Lord's like, just let it go, Alan. I'm calling them. I'm stripping everything away from them so they can come to me because I love them. Man, I tell you, this is a weird process to go through and to see different people go through this. We're like, man, this poor man. It's not getting through to them. It's hard to see a young person go through this, much less an older person. But in this situation, this poor boy He's falling over. I mean, he's just going into the fire. He's suffering. And this man brings him and falls at Jesus' feet. And the boy has had all these seizures. But it's just not like an epilepsy type of thing. The Greek word here is, is selani odzomehi. It's, it's the word selene or selene. You know, like selene dion. It means moon, okay? But it's translated in Latin like this. Lunatic. I know it's not a very PC word today, right? We don't call people lunatics. Well, on the freeway we do, but other than that. <laughs> but there's a mental health issue going on with this young boy. The old King James, I love it, literally says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. He is sore vexed. 
For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. There are some huge spiritually mental issues here. Mark 9, 17 says, Mark says, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gashes his teeth, it becomes rigid. This is more than epilepsy. If you've ever seen one of those episodes, you understand what I'm saying. But this is, this is a whole new, new level. In Luke 9, it says the spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into the convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. This father is at his wits. The wits in. I mean, he's, he's there. And in Matthew, it goes back and it says, I brought him to your disciples so they could, but they could not heal him. This is why the disciples were arguing when Jesus walked up. They couldn't heal him. So the scribes, of course, started going, see, you're powerless. Your God means nothing. You're worshiping another God that's not our God. You know, so they're, they're in a huge fight. And all this while, I mean, this poor child is convulsing right in front of them. Isn't this the, the perfect symbol of bad religion? I mean, we're like, don't you just see it? Do you see the person suffering right there, but we're just arguing? No power. Can't accomplish anything. I can't believe it. You know. Man, because, you know, arguing always helps, doesn't it? You know, when we, you know, when we start to fight, what happens? We become ineffective. And with years and years of fighting, what happens? You end up being effective completely. Frustrated about what is not happening. So we lash out. And this poor kid is just flopping around. But we're fighting about doctrine. And who's being ineffective? I mean, the poor dad. He's staring at them fighting, and he's looking at his son. And Jesus shows up, and I'm sure the dad was just like, finally, finally. I would imagine the nine disciples are a little intimidated here. Jesus took the favored three, you know, the three, Jesus is always picking those three. He took the favored three, you know, Rocky and the Sons of Thunder, and they're, they're nowhere to be found. And here comes this tough case. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Mark says that when Jesus or when the kid saw Jesus, he immediately went into convulsions, fell on the ground, mouth foaming, the body going rigid, the whole thing is happening. And Mark tells us that Jesus asked the father in Mark 9, he says, um, uh, he says how long has he been like this? From childhood, he asked, or answered. It, is often, uh, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Man, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And we've seen this in several times in scriptures. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I want to believe, I do believe, but help me get past that part of me that's holding me back. That is a great prayer. 
You know, we think we always have to have this flowery language and, you know, be able to talk to God. But this is a great prayer right here. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This is one of the most beautiful, honest prayers that's effective in the Bible. This is the issue, isn't it? I believe a little. I mean, many of us would sit there and think, well, I, I wouldn't be here if I, if I didn't believe a little. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten out of bed this morning if I didn't believe, you know, somewhat. I wouldn't have shown up. I'm even trying to believe. Even if other people are giving up on me, I'm trying I just need a little more belief to get me over that hump. I think we've all come to that point in our life at one point. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mark says that as soon as he said this, Jesus basically took over. It says in, in uh, Mark uh, 9.25, When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. It's almost like one more last kick in the gut for the kid, right? The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he is dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. You know, our God is, is the only God who reaches down and touches us. You study any other religion... They're a distant God. Our God does not need to be bribed with anything. It is Jesus that comes to the hurting and touches it. Cry out to God. Lord, I don't have enough faith in this situation. Give me some faith. And he's like, good prayer. Good prayer. Start right there. For us to be able to admit, I don't know what to do in this situation. For us to be able to admit, say, I don't get why this is happening, Lord. Help me understand this. For us to admit, going, I don't have enough belief, Lord. Help me here. Those are good prayers. It says here that then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, because you have so little faith. You see, this man wasn't the only one dealing with unbelief. These men had walked with Jesus for three years, and Jesus leaves for one night, and it's like they're babies again. It's like they don't know how to eat. It's like they don't know how to, you know what I'm saying? It's like my, my wife went out of town this last week, and she told me about meals ahead of time, but my mind's been on fireworks, so if you told me anything this past week, forget it. I've forgotten it, okay? So my wife tells me, okay, you have this meal, you have that meal, and whatever. So it gets time to mealtime, I'm like looking at the fridge going, um, texting my wife. Okay, now what did you say? We're like that. God leaves for one night, we're on our own, and we're like, uh, um, now what do I do? One foot in front of the other. Okay, one foot. Okay, now what? That's how we are with God. Man. But what's interesting is, wisely, they came to Jesus in private. Lord, can you tell us why this didn't work? Can you tell us what, you know, it's almost like an evaluation. We just failed. We tried it, and it didn't work. Did we not say, in the name of Jesus, right? 
you know, you got to say it several times, you know, you got to get the S going, right? Did we not say it right? Is that why they weren't healed? What was happening here? And Jesus is like, guys, you just didn't believe. We think this is just the disciples. When's the last time we've gone to God and said, Lord, why have I failed here? In this situation, in this prayer dealing with this thing, why is my prayer not working? When's the last time you've gone to God and said, why? My child has just entered the why stage. And I think I had something to do with that. I don't know. I asked him why too many times. But he's just now entered into it. And I'm already irritated by it. But we have a God that's not irritated by it. We have a God who says, okay, okay, Alan, shut up for a second. Quit asking why and let me tell you why. We have to be willing to listen. Lord, why have I failed here? Guys, it's just that you didn't believe. Let me tell you about faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And when we read that and say, <laughs> that's, great. that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, I tried that with a mountain. It stayed there. I tried. It's the concept here. I don't think he really wants us going around telling a mountain to go to another place. You know, I mean, the world would be pretty screwed up, wouldn't it? No, I want it over here. No, I want it over there. And we just keep switching the mountain back and forth. He's saying, guys, you actually have enough faith. You just don't know how to unlock it. I left you a seed full of faith, and you just haven't watered it. You haven't gotten to my word. You haven't talked to me. See, what I love about the Lord is He just doesn't rub it in their face. <laughs> you, you just failed miserably. Oh, man, I can't believe it. Gone one day and you really screwed this up, didn't you? He doesn't talk to us like this. I mean, He doesn't go, four months, guys, four months, and I hand the church over to you guys. What are you going to do? Get with it. Man. Matthew, give me 20. He doesn't treat us like that. I'm going to whip you guys into shape. This is not Jesus. This is our inner critic. This is our, our inside voice in our mind, you know. It's usually the voice of our mom or dad, right? Those that like to blame our parents for everything, right? You know what I'm saying? See, Jesus is the one who's going to kill us of our inner critic. He says, There is therefore no condemnation for them that are in Jesus Christ. But Jesus goes on further in Mark, and he says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. You know, if you're facing a tough situation, then you need to start praying and fasting. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried fasting? You know, we've tried different diets, tried to, you know, last night we all went down to get yogurt. I'm trying to lose a little weight, so I didn't have yogurt, and I'm, I, I totally, uh, that's a good milestone. I didn't even eat Brandon's that was left over. He only had a little bit. Have you ever tried fasting, taking it another step? See, the enemy will keep you from it. Let me give you seven quick things about fasting. If you're going to take notes, write fast, or you can get the tape or CD or whatever. But fasting puts an edge to our prayers. 
the edge intensifies our prayers. Because when we fast, when we start to get hungry, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. That's the whole concept of fasting. It's supposed to remind you that you're hungry for God, so therefore talk to God. Secondly, fasting concentrates our mind on the task at hand when it reminds us, that, okay, I'm praying about this. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm praying about this. I'm praying about this. Thirdly, fasting tells the body to serve the, the soul in prayer. This is very important for us. Number four, it reminds our soul to crave the Spirit of God. It's that reminder all the time. You know, miss one day's worth of food, it'll help you, you know, crave the Spirit of God. Number five, fasting delays gratification. Provides satisfaction when it becomes greater. For 33 years, Jesus has delayed satisfaction. And then he went to the cross and he died for us. You know, I'm not talking about the fasting. I mean, different religions do it differently uh, when it comes to fasting. I know one religion, for a whole month they fast, and it's a big deal. But their fasting is only during daylight hours. At night they gorge themselves. To me, that's not fasting. That's not denying yourself. That's just switching your, your, your mealtime to nighttime instead of daytime. You know what I'm saying? Number six, fasting aligns our priority. The second day into fasting, man, you desire food. You start to see your priorities a lot more quickly. You will pray more because you're focusing on the Lord. And number seven, fasting teaches sacrifice. And to decide to sacrifice, it teaches us that. When you go through a fasting time, your prayers become more powerful. And you start to pray the impossible prayers again. You know, the ones you've given up on. Anybody have a prayer that they've kind of given up on? Maybe a person who hasn't come to the Lord that you've given up upon? You know, you're just like, forget it. They will never become a Christian. Forget it. I will never be able to lose weight. Forget it. I'll never be able to give up, you know, smoking or drinking or the pot. Or I will never get, you know, my language under control. Forget it. I will never get my temper under control. Forget it. I will just have another drink after work, only to relax, of course. Forget it. I am never blah, 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 blah. I give up. Those type of prayers. Fast and then pray again about that. And then pray that prayer again. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and I. That Spirit lives in you. The same Spirit that healed that boy lives in you. The same Spirit that allowed Peter to walk on water lives in you. The same Spirit that's done every miracle in the Bible lives in you. Have we forgotten that? Man, I, yes, we have forgotten that. We have forgotten about the power that lives in us, but because we have so little faith, and I want to say, we need to start saying, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I guarantee you, we need to start having more prayers like that. It will change your life. It will change the life of people around you. And sometimes that'll be tough because when we change our lives, people don't like change, do we? Man, change one hour of our work time throws us all off. We would hate that, right? Boss comes in, okay, I want you to start at this time instead of that time. What? It's like the world is falling apart, right? 
We cannot stand change. God will change your life if you let him do it. If you allow the Holy Spirit to use you. He just wants to use a little bit of the faith that you already have in your own life. In your own life. Well, that is it for today. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, I pray that you get us to a point where we're talking with you. That we're being honest with you. That we're coming to you and saying, Lord, I don't have enough faith. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I pray that uh, this week, Lord, that you lay one thing on our minds. Each individual here, Lord, that you would lay one thing on our minds that we need to be praying about and that we need to hand over to you and pray along with you that you will take care of that situation, that we will have enough faith that you will intervene in whatever it is. Lord, help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he awaken the Holy Spirit within you that you will have enough faith to do whatever it is that he's calling you to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.